Welcome to episode 953 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason. Without Jason Collette, without Paul Spore, so I had to bring in a ringer. I had to bring in someone who could hit the ball out of the park, but God knows I just don't even have gap power. Uh, I'm bringing in Batflip Crazy. That is Toby from the Batflip Crazy podcast. Toby, welcome to the show. Justin, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. That's quite quite the expectations you've already created for my performance on the on the podcast today. So I, I will do my best. Um, I will do my best to uh, to represent as as well as possible. Uh, I have no concerns or doubts about your ability to represent and fill in. Uh, so remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug your work in the industry. Yeah. Uh, so the best place to reach me is on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Um, yeah, that's the best place to get my content and to engage in conversation. Always happy to do that with folks. I also have a website, BatFlipCrazy.com, um, which I update occasionally. Um, and then the other place to reach me is uh, my podcast, uh, Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball is the name of the podcast. I do a weekly episode with Bubba from the Bench with Bubba podcast. It normally goes out on, on Tuesday nights and kind of dive into the waiver wire, uh, do some in-depth analysis. It's, it's a good time. So if you are interested in that, definitely check it out. And definitely show up for the live stream portion of that. And then just harass Bubba and Toby throughout the entire podcast because that's what I like to do. They, 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 you know, especially around the West Coast like me, they like to record a little bit late. I just get in there and I just start asking random questions. Every once in a while, they'll throw me the link and I'll just jump in and harass them live. Yeah, we we record like eight or eight thirty on the West Coast on Tuesday night, so it's like Justin and us all the time having having a blast. So definitely check it out. And yes, you got that invitation to join us in studio uh, for one of the podcasts, which was a lot of fun. That was a great. That was a. I feel I can't remember what exactly the episode was, but that was a really good time. You were there. I think it was Mike Curlin was there. Yeah, I think it was bold predictions. Mm, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, which so, I'm sure you probably talked about Cedric Mullins at some point during that, right? I'm I'm sure I did. Uh, I'm pretty sure I talked about Manny Margot too. Uh, that one, that one's working out okay. It's not been as like amazing as I had hoped it to be, and now he's injured, but uh, he, he's been okay. Uh, but Mullins has been great. We'll talk about Mullins here in a little bit because we're going to talk about some first half heroes and whether or not we should hold on to them or try to sell high uh, for those who are in trade leagues. I know you don't do a lot of trade leagues, Toby. You and I actually worked out a trade uh, that um, we seems, did. Seems like it's not going to work out as well for me because uh, <laughs> Chris Bryant can't stay fucking healthy. Um, but uh, we, you and I, was it Lance Lynn? Or no, no it was Giolito, right? Was Giolito. Yeah, it was Giolito. And I think um, asked Drupal Cabrera just because I needed to fill in my third base hole when, when I traded Bryant. So it hasn't worked out for both of us, you know, like I, I've got, I, I actually don't think I got the starts last week because we made the trade at the beginning of the week and it's a weekly lead. You, did, you didn't want the second one. Yeah, second no, one I know. I didn't. So. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm hopeful of today's start against the Orioles. I don't even know if it started or not, but hopefully, hopefully that, that goes well. But yeah, it's, I'm always actually hesitant to trade honestly in leagues. Cause I'm so I'm used to use doing the NFBC and, you know, like I've, I've been in a few situations like where I get offered trades that I don't think are fair either. Like it could even be benefiting me and I'm hesitant to do it because I just don't want to bring any question marks like in terms of the integrity of the league. But it's very clear, like you needed help with hitting. I needed help with pitching. I need a lot of help with pitching. 
And so it was, it was a nice little trade. Hopefully it works out for us. Hopefully it's not serious with Bryant. He comes back. Maybe he's even traded to like an amazing offense, you know, and, and, and takes off second half. I hope so. Cause I like, mean, neither of us, I mean, theory, we're going to talk about like how you get back into the hunt in a league if you've fallen out later on too. Um, but I don't, neither of us probably going to win this league, right? We're, I'm eighth, you're 10th. Uh, and Dalton Del Don has a like almost 20 point lead or a 15 point lead on second place right now. Like he, he's running away with this league right now. But I have a huge bet with Matty Davis on where him and I finish. Uh, and if he loses, he has to get a tattoo of the Justin Mason face on his butt. Um, and so, like, I need to do anything I can to just stay ahead of him. Right now, he's in ninth, just sandwiched in between us. Well, I've actually got a few more players. I won't be looking for much. You know, I'm just looking for a bench batter, too. Maybe I can toss over, like, you Darvish or, yeah. um, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can make happen for Maddie. Yeah, yeah, because I I need Maddie to lose this bet Uh, because he chicked out on last year in the shortened season and then went on to win the league. Um, So that was a huge mistake, and I wanted to pay for it. Uh, Let's let's talk some fantasy baseball, though, uh, and start off with uh, Buster Posey, one of the surprise players kind of this year uh, for those who kind of, you know, waited on catcher. I know that's not necessarily your strategy typically. Uh, Posey's been kind of a nice reprieve from what has been a god-awful position. Uh, This was more often than not, the best time to actually pay up for a guy like Rimo to a guy like Sal Perez like he did. But Posey's been great. He's going to hit the IL. It doesn't sound like he's going to miss a ton of time. The Giants did call up Joey Bart uh, today. That seems like it'll probably be a short-term move. What are your thoughts on Posey rest of the way, and does Joey Bart in- interest you at all in fantasy for this season? Yeah, Bart, Bart doesn't really interest me. I mean, we saw kind of a little bit last year with him. I think the strikeout issues are a little too much. Um, and I do think that they want to give him more time. So I think what we're seeing a lot of teams doing this week, which can be hard to decipher, like whether this is just kind of take these three days off and then come come back after the All-Star break, which it seems like that's the case with Posey and maybe a couple other guys who have gone on the IL. So I anticipate that that's the situation it's going to be. And so I don't think Posey will be gone long. And yeah, talk about an incredible return. I mean, it almost bodes the question, are are there some guys who are constantly injured who it might actually be worth them taking a season off, you know, like Posey did last year? I mean, just to see him come back healthy, come back with that power, you know, the hip issues, the other issues that he was struggling with, really giving that that body time to heal. It seems like it's extended his career maybe a few more years, um, at least the uh, the part of his career that's going to be quality. Yeah, I, I think that the year off was huge for him, and is one of the reasons I actually did try to attack him a little bit in draft season. Uh, he's, he's my catcher in one of my main events. I think the one I'm in with you uh, and, and a few other big leagues uh, because he's just been a guy that I think he has just played through injuries. And catchers get hurt, right? It's the one criticism drafting catchers high as catchers get hurt, right? And a lot of times they're dealing with nick, you know, these kind of nicked up injuries all throughout the season. And I think he's just been a guy that continues to play. And I think it's hampered his overall production. It's the equivalent of me playing fantasy baseball, right? If maybe if I didn't play 29 leagues, I'd be better in like, you know, a handful of leagues as opposed to. And I think, you know, maybe some of these guys, especially as they get older, I think Crawford, who we're going to talk about later as well, uh, is one of the guys that like probably needed some extra time off too. And I think the shortened season last year may have helped him get healthy though. I think he's just, 
been insane. I don't, I don't know if it's a new condition or something for that beautiful hair of his, <laughs> but Crawford just been amazing. Uh, I, I, I agree with you on Bart. I think Bart has real intriguing long-term value. And if people in dynasty and keeper leagues, uh, are wanting to maybe sell him a little bit lower than they would have coming into last year, I, I would be buying because what I see at him when he's, when he's playing is that he's got real power. Um, he definitely does need to work on the strikeouts. Uh, and I think he's going to be a really good catcher in this game. I think it's a couple years away, though, probably. Uh, Jan Gomes, he left with an injury. Any worry about Jan Gomes, who's been a very usable catcher in, like I said, a season with not very many usable catchers? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know how much of an update we have on Gomes, but if he's out for any extended period of time for, you know, uh, if you've had him, he's he's been a, you know, a real boon. Like, there's been a few of those catchers Late round catchers, Yadi Molina, Omar Narvaez, uh, Jan Gomes, that were kind of going around pick, you know, 250 to 300, maybe even a little later in some leagues that have really paid off. I think the challenge that's going to be facing a lot of folks is we've got the Grandal injury, you've got the Posey injury, you've got the Gomes injury all happening around the same time. And so there might be some competition this weekend for some of those halfway decent catchers. And so the question is going to be, do you pony up a little bit in, in fab to get one of those guys? Um, if they're even available, like if anybody who's, who's decent is available on that catcher, or do you just kind of, you know, throw those $1 bids in there and hope that you get a guy who happens to get, you know, a few starts that week. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for a lot of folks. So hopefully Gomes isn't out for an extended period of time. Uh, but if he is, I think that's going to pose a lot of challenges. It's, it sounds like a, a left oblique strain is what I'm seeing now. So yeah, that's... he got got placed on the IL today. So that that's probably four to six weeks, right? Is do you have to Not drop great. him in every league then? Because I mean, that's half. That could be half the remaining season. Yeah, I think with Gomes, definitely with with Grandal, it, it's something that I'm struggling with. I have a bunch of Grandal in a, a variety of different places. And it's like they're saying five weeks right now, which puts us kind of middle of August. So that's still potentially six weeks of production you could get from him. At the same time, we know with injuries, it's normally on the, the further end of that, uh, of, of the um, prognosis, you know. And so if it, if it ends up being six, seven, then you're talking about only having a month. And then you're talking about having to readjust to getting back in the swing of things. It's not a minor injury like an oblique strain or an, or a knee and tearing a knee tendon. So I, I'm, I'm leaning towards dropping Grandal in my leagues right now. A lot of it, I think will depend on what the waiver wire looks like, but um, I think it's the same with Gomes even more so. Like, I think you have to move on if it, if, if that's what it looks like four to six weeks, then I think you got to move on at this point because you're going to be, it's, it's tough to have if you're limited, like in NFBC to seven guys. And especially with, prospects coming up and with the trade deadline and all of these things you really want to have some flexibility with that roster right now so you probably have to move on from those guys yeah i i agree and and what i had said when i think paul and i talked about Grandall last week was uh that i would likely move on and uh in if i had him anywhere which i don't i don't personally have him this year because i wasn't paying up at catcher uh that being said uh I would wait until after the all-star break, right? Cause we're talking about, you're not going to have games for four days this week. So, or next or this upcoming week. So, uh, 
there's no sense in dropping someone for three games. See if we get more information. Maybe there's an update. Hey, you know, a guy like Jan Gomes, they say it's an oblique, but maybe it's just a little like, you know, like with Posey where they're just trying to give him some time off, let him rest, and, and then he'll, he'll be back, uh, you know, maybe mid next week or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I think I would try to wait and see what happens because you also see people kind of do weird drops sometimes. And maybe a better catcher comes onto the market. You don't want to waste assets. Uh, necessarily. So I, if, if it's me, I'm spending a dollar on a catcher just for the weekend next week. And then I'm going to kind of reassess, uh, you know, and see what's on the waiver wire the following week. Uh, Carlos Correa, he hits the COVID IL apparently. Uh, it's, they, they've called it health and safety protocols. I think we all know what that means at this point. Um, hopefully this is just a close contact type thing, not serious. Uh, we're going to talk about Correa, but any concerns with this? You know, I, I haven't heard any additional information. These things can be one-day things, right? It could be a close contact. Sometimes even just having COVID-like symptoms, they'll put them on the on the safety protocols. So it's really hard to know at this point. I think, you know, again, it's Carlos Correa, so you're probably going to, you're sticking with him. And you just got to hope that it's only, you know, the three, the three games next week that he's going to miss and that he'll be back. Um, or, you know, he could be back for by the end of the all-star break. So, and he also talked about, you know, I know he's missing the all-star break, the all-star game because he wants to spend more time with his wife. His wife is pregnant. Um, they're expecting a child soon. So, uh, I'd be, um, I'd be surprised if it was anything too, too lengthy. Yeah, I completely agree. And we're going to talk more about him in the first half heroes because he has been a nice little surprise this year. Uh, though I don't know how surprised we should have been, right? It, Carlos Correa, dude, dude has been great in the past. Uh, let's uh, let's start with these first half heroes. I, I don't think there's anybody more surprising than Adolis Garcia this year, because I'll be quite honest, I didn't know who Adolis Garcia was coming into the year, uh, and I doubt most people had any idea uh, who Adolis Garcia was. Uh, but he's been fantastic. It's been uneven. If you go and look at like his month-to-month splits, hit two forty-two in uh, in April, hit. 312 in May, hit 242 again in June, hitting 303 so far in July. Is this a sell high from a guy that you got off the waiver wire, so you got for free, or are you just going to ride it out because he's got power, he's got speed, and he's probably going to play every day? Yeah, I mean, obviously it always depends on what you can, what you're getting in return. But the thing that I like about Garcia's profile is that there's a lot of ways that he can contribute, like you mentioned. He can hit home runs. He's got power. When you look at it, he's got 20 home runs, 21 home runs. He's also got 32 barrels as well, right? So he's really hitting the ball hard. He's got a nice max exit below. You know, he hits the ball on the ground a little bit more than you'd like, but that also can help the batting average slightly. So I think if you look at where he's at, you know, 30% strikeout rate, I'd be surprised if the batting average stayed where it is. You know, you mentioned kind of the volatility. I'd be surprised, you know, if he stayed around 270, I'd expect it to be closer to like 250 by the, by the time all is said and done, but it's hard to get power and speed. And I think he continues to contribute in those two categories. The Rangers love stealing bases. So I don't see a reason why he's going to stop doing that. And the power seems legit. So kudos to everybody who picked him up as soon as they could in leagues early this season. I imagine a lot of folks who did are, are at the top of the leaderboard right now. Yeah. I mean, if you got this guy just on a spec pick, uh, especially with how bad you know outfield has been this year like to, to get a guy like that to kind of lock up one of your outfield positions 
yeah, I, I think I'm holding on to him as well. Like I believe you said, like 46.6% hard hit percentage, uh, barrel percentage of 15%. Uh, you know, the batting average will come down. I completely agree with you. I think his swing and strike rate is around 17%. His O swings around 39%. He doesn't make a ton of in-zone contact. It's around 75%, which is like 10% below league average. Um so, yeah, I think the batting average is probably going to crater at some point. I think 250 could even be optimistic. Uh, but I, I think the amount of power you get, I mean, 21 home runs in the first half, like you have to be just like clicking your heels together. I mean, and, you know, hoping you don't wake up from this amazing dream. And then you throw in eight stolen bases. Uh, just, yeah, I mean, it, it's all pure money in the bank. A lot of these guys we're going to talk about is pure money in the bank. At this point, I don't think I would sell on him unless you really, really needed pitching or something like that. I think that's kind of the the scenarios because, I mean, he's filling up pretty much every stat category at this point. And there's no reason to think he can't continue to do something like that rest of the way. It's probably not going to be 20 home runs. I think he had 11 of his home runs in the month of May. Um, So, you know, but could it be another, you know, 10 to 12 home runs in like five stolen bases. Sure. That's, that's awesome from a guy you got off the way for wire. Uh, my boy, we're, we, we've entered into the Justin Mason section of the podcast. We're talking about a couple of my guys. Uh, first Kyle Gibson, who's just been phenomenal. And again, someone you got off the way wire because in his first start, he got blown the fuck up, uh, versus Kansas city and go, probably got dropped in 99% of the leagues. He was uh, drafted in, uh, only to just go on and just have an amazing season since then. He's probably a trade, uh, gonna trade target for a rebuilding, uh, Texas team. They're, they're gonna try to ship him off and get some assets for the future. But are you shipping him off or are you gonna hold on to Kyle Gibson? I am absolutely tra- trading Kyle Gibson at this point. I am taking this production in the first half and I am very content with that. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna test fate, I don't think. I mean, the thing about Gibson, like you look at the numbers and there's nothing particularly remarkable. Obviously, he has a different pitch mix, you know, with the cutter that he's throwing. But you'd anticipate that that would that would show up somewhere right in the numbers. And certainly his numbers are better than they have been in previous seasons. But you look at um, the BABIP at 254 is a career low by a significant amount. You know, the lowest he had in any other season is 285. The strand rate um, is at 84.3%, which is 13% higher than you would traditionally expect. I mean, sometimes that strand rate can stay high, but generally those are those high strikeout pitchers um, who are better at stranding runners. Um, He's got a 14% K minus walk. So right around league average, like there's nothing in the profile that jumps out at all. In fact, like if you look at his 2018 numbers this year is remarkably close to that to those um 2018 2019 numbers and so i anticipate that we're going to have a couple pretty bad regression games here for gibson in the second half you know he'll probably still finish with a a decent era you know three five to four i think but from here on out I, i don't see him being a really a different pitcher than we've seen in the past how about you i know i know you love Kyle Gibson, so we're we're going to try to sift through the bias here with your response and figure out, you know, what to uh, what to expect. The anger, the anger I feel for your Kyle Gibson slant. Of course, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, this has been amazing. Nobody saw anything close to a two twenty nine ERA in one hundred and two innings. 
come on, that's that's not going to continue. Because not only, like you said, the strand rate's going to normalize, the BABIP's going to normalize. Uh, he's also likely going to move out of Texas, which is a great place to pitch, right? Uh, which, you know, always seems weird to be considering for years, Arlington was like the worst pace to pitch. Know. But the new stadium is a great place to pitch. He's going to go somewhere else. It's likely not as great of a place to pitch. Uh, now, I don't know that he's going to like completely fall apart. I do like the cutter. I do like the new picks mix. Um, I think that some of the issues he's had in the last few years was he dealt with diverticulitis. Uh, maybe that's under control. That's, you know, that was a health issue. Um, and I do think he has, uh, you know, made some minor improvements this year. That being said, he's not nearly this good. Like, I think he's probably a mid to high threes ERA pitcher um, and probably will do something like that rest of the way. The one thing I do like about him is I think he's going to volume his way to being useful. And um, because he's a guy that I think teams will be willing to just kind of ride, especially if he gets moved on to a team that's looking for a playoffs, looking for a World Series. They're looking for a guy who they can just pile the innings on. And we don't know how many guys are going to be like that kind of rest of the way, right? I mean, there's going to be a number of guys that are skipped, have phantom IL stints, uh, maybe just shut down completely, um, you know, or, you know, shorten innings uh, within starts, which all will have a negative effect. And nobody knows exactly who it's going to be. I think Kyle Gibson's one of the ones I think we can feel comfortable that teams are just going to be like, it's Kyle Gibson. We're taking whatever we can get out of this harm. Totally. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that you need to be factoring into, because I got a question about this on, on Twitter about like somebody we're going to talk about a little bit, like Carlos Rodon. And you got to think about the incentives that teams have for doing that. Like we know, for instance, that Trevor Rogers on the Marlins, you know, I think it was a few weeks ago, they mentioned he had 80 innings left. And so they were going to let him go 80 innings and then they were going to stop him. But with a guy like Gibson or a guy like Rod Rodon, where you don't have where they're free agents, right? The incentives for the teams to to limit, you know, how much they're going to pitch, that could be a huge, a huge asset going down uh, the stretch because, man, pitching, there's just so many question marks heading into the second half of pitching. Just trying to navigate it is going to be incredibly complex. I will say, though, Gibson is not a free agent at the end of the year. Gibson oh, is, he isn't. He's signed through, I think, next season. I believe he's a free agent in 2023. Yes, 2023. So he's got one oh, more okay. year. On the, that being said, like I don't think he's an arm you limit. Like you're not. He doesn't have like a huge injury history. Uh, he's a veteran. Like he's not like a guy you're trying to protect for the future necessarily. This is a guy for to ride right now. Uh, but you did mention Carlos Rodon. Let's. I'll move him up on the list because I think he is a really interesting case. Because like you said, I think some people are like, well, it's injury history, right? White Sox are going to want to limit it. No, he's a free agent. They're going to want to get out whatever they can out of this arm as it is. And he's been fantastic. Don't mess with anything, right? Are you holding on to Carlos Rodon or are you going to try to, you know, maybe pass him off to somebody else and get something in return? Uh, you know, again, it always depends on what you're getting, but I love Rodon. Like of all the people on your list, I have very few of them on my teams, except for Rodon. I have him on a number of different teams. And, you know, it's one of these situations where, you know, in spring training, you know, towards the end of spring training, I literally started drafting pitchers solely because of what their spring training velocity was because Rodon was effective in spring training, but not just that his velo was up two miles per hour. It's now up three miles per hour over the course of the full season, which can really take a guy to the next level. 
I absolutely love Rodon and I don't see him. I mean, of course he's got to slow down a little bit and there's always the concerns about the injury history, but his swinging strike rate is at 15.4%. His K minus walk is 28.9%. He's getting chases on pitches outside the zone. He's absolutely dominating in the zone at 77.7%, you know, over the course of the season. And just the consistency of the strikeout production that he has has been incredible. I mean, if you look at every single game, he's giving you eight plus strikeouts pretty much, um, which which is phenomenal. So, yeah, I really love um, I really love Carlos Rodon. I love what he's doing. I think the velo is a very clear um, that that's what I always like to do is look for like, why is this guy better? You know, what is the reason why he's better? And that type of a jump in velocity does, means the world, right? He's throwing, he's 96 from the left side, devastating uh, slider. The changeup is really good as well. The fastball is dominant. You know, he's just been an incredible per- performer. So I'm definitely not moving on with hit from him unless I'm getting, you know, either an ace in return or if I really need hitting, I'm getting a, a, a hitter that I'm very confident is going to contribute a, a strong second half of the season. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I guess if I'm getting an ace, but I just don't see like people don't make the aces for aces trade, right? Like like just that just doesn't happen. Yeah. But people do make the ace for hitter trade. If I'm getting a top fifty hitter and I need hitting, that makes a lot of sense to me. But other than that, I'm with you. I'm riding this out. I mean, you got him off the waiver wire. Uh, you know, I picked him up in a few leagues myself, uh, and he's been just absolutely fantastic. I love what you said about the velocity because I think that is key. The slider's always been good. But the velocity and the movement on that fastball uh, playing up because of the added velocity makes the slider that much more devastating, right? It's the contrast of the two pitches. Uh, and it's it's been fantastic. And the fact he can throw a third pitch is, is huge for him. Uh, and it's all about injury. Like the only thing that I, that I can really see falling apart is injury. Because if you look at all of the ERA estimators... Uh, they're all right in line with what he has. It's just like a low twos, mid twos kind of ERA. Uh, and yeah, I, I think the White Sox have another reclamation project. This is their own reclamation project. You know, he was bad with them and they still figure out how to fix them. Uh, yeah. And like uh, we mentioned early on, he's a free agent. They're, they're not tied to him after this season. He's going to go off and get paid probably somebody somewhere else. And so there's no reason for them not to push him. There's no reason for him not to push himself to try to make that money uh, for, you know, a big free agency deal. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with with him in free agency. I mean, he's still only, he's going to be 29, you know, like he's going to be 29. He doesn't have that many innings on his arm because of injury. And so it's just this question mark of you have these huge injury risks, but at the same time, like, if this guy's healthy and he can continue that velocity, you have an absolutely dominant, like number one starter on your team potentially. So it's going to be fascinating to see how teams handle him in free agency and what he's able to get um, in terms of a contract. Yeah, it's going to be nuts free agency or an offseason, really. Because, I mean, on top of like this just being a huge year in terms of a lot of really good players hitting the market, you also got the CBA issues. So, like, I, you know, will he be a qualifying offer? And if you're a guy like him, do you just take the guaranteed paycheck, you know, in the way like Kevin Gosman did this last year? Um, so, like, I, I'll be interested to see where he ends up, if, if he does take a QO um, or what's going to go on this offseason. I'm so scared, to be quite honest, <laughs> about, the, about the CBA stuff. But uh, let's 
let's move on to, again, going back to one of my guys, right? So Cedric Mullins has been absolutely amazing, a top 10 hitter uh, so far this season. Uh, and as much as I'd love to pat myself on the bat and take victory laps, which I have been doing for all season long, um, no one saw this coming. I didn't see this coming. This has just been absolutely <laughs> insanity. Like, it's just he's been so just amazing. Uh, but it kind of begs the question, is it time to try to sell him for some something kind of commiserate with what he's been doing? Because it's got to come back to earth at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, Justin, you're handling this all wrong. You don't admit that you didn't expect this. Oh, I totally double down this. on that. You yeah. did expect this. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to put a tweet out there that says, remember when I predicted that Cedric Mullins was going to hit 315 mm -hmm. and go 1515 in the first half. Yeah. Remember that? Or like a tweet that says like, imagine not drafting Cedric Mullins at pick 250 this past year, you know? Um, no, I, I think Mullins is an interesting case because he this power, the speed, the ballpark, like everything about the situation and his skills. And the fact that you, ha again, you have a clear reason why he got better, right? He moved away from being, you know, a switch hitter. He went exclusively to the left side. Um, he's, he's batting lead, lead off. Like everything is really, really good. So, you know, I, I think that you have a really good player here who's going to be really good in the second half. I mean, one thing about all these guys, right, is anytime you have a player that that performs so much higher above expectation, there's always going to be some, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of regression that hits. It's kind of like everybody who says, oh, the home run derby impacts player performance in the second half because they don't do as well. Well, it's like they made the all-star game because they were really, really good, because they were better than expectations, because they were a great story, right? And so the same is, is the case with all these guys. But with Mullins, the only place where I really see you know, a little bit of pullback, you know, maybe with the batting average, you know, he's, he's incredibly fast. He does have a very high BABIP. He's done that in the 2020 season as well. But when you look at his career average, 313 compared to the 356. So maybe there's, there's a little bit of pullback that's going to happen there. You know, he does only have 19 barrels for his 16 home runs. So a little bit of pullback in the, in the barrels as well. But the challenge is, is like, where do you go about getting somebody who's going to provide a decent, decent amount of power, a great amount of speed with batting average that is, that somebody's going to trade to you for, you know, Cedric Mullins, right? Because that's what you essentially have. And so unless you can do like a two for one deal where you're really try meeting the needs of your team, you know, I think Mullins is a really hard guy to, to let go of because what he provides to you, is so important, right? It's so valuable in terms of scarcity of, of categories in Roto. So I, I'd be holding on to Mullins unless I could do something, you know, if I, unless I could get a similar caliber player that provides the same things, which is doubtful, or like a two, two for one that really addresses the, the needs that your team has. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think the, the two spots where I can see some sort of uh, maybe regression back a little bit is in this, uh, uh, in the, in the average department, like you said, uh, I think he's probably more of a 280 hitter as opposed to a 315 hitter. But 280 is still amazing in a season where 240 is the league batting average uh, as a whole. Uh, and then probably in the power department a little bit. Um, I, I just don't know if he's really... Uh, though I do think his swing actually works with this ball 
a little bit more than maybe some other kind of uh, more loftier swings. That being said, like I would probably project him to be like a, a 10 homer guy rest of the way with like a 280 average, but same kind of speed. So like 12 to, you know, 14 stolen bases, which means at the end of the season, you're looking at a guy who's like a 25, almost 30 guy with probably finishing around a 300 batting average, considering he's at 315 now projected for 280 rest of the way. I just don't know what you can, I, I don't think anybody's paying for this. Like, and that's the hard part. Like I have him in a, uh, a, a gigantic keeper league um, with dynasty kind of implications where I've got him for extremely cheap for like the next three years. Um, and like I've said, like, Hey, and I'm rebuilding. I, I'm, I'm literally tearing everything down right now and nobody will give me anything of, of worth for this guy. Um, and I'm like, I'm not going to trade him for nothing. Like I, like, I think people are still wrapped up in his draft day name value, uh, that they're not willing to give a lot. And so I think ultimately you're probably going to have to ride it out, which would be fine because I think he's still going to be good. Maybe not as amazing, but probably more, you know, kind of what I expected as opposed to what we've gotten. So uh, that being said, my, my bold prediction of him finishing or uh, as a top 60 outfielder, I think is locked in stone for this, at this point. Uh, I think you're good. I think you could just, you could not play the second half and you'd, you'd, you could lock yeah. in that bold prediction right there. Absolutely. It's, it's right under my Trevor Rosenthal will lead the, uh, the American League in saves. So that's working out yeah. really well. So, yeah. all right. Uh, Carlos Correa, the aforementioned Carlos Correa, he's been really, really good this season. Um, I mean, I, think we probably have to hold on to him he's gonna be a free agent he's had going off on you know for those of you who buy into the the contract year uh kind of uh hubbub i i don't know if i don't think that's a real thing at all personally but he's been fantastic on one of the best teams in baseball are you holding on to him or are you looking to try to dangle him out there yeah i think you you probably um you hold on to him you know, very solid profile. The thing with Correa, nobody's ever doubted the talent, obviously. It's more the the injury history and the consistency, I think, that we haven't seen. So, you know, the, the one thing I'll say about Correa so far is there have been some good changes in his profile. His ground ball rate is 4% lower than his career average. He's only had one season where it was um, lower than his current uh, 42% that he has right now which has just helped him out tremendously because you got, you know, the home runs um, are um, are really nice for him. He's never hit more than 24, which is which is just crazy to say, right? Because this is Carlos Correa, this guy, one, you know, the first pick in the draft, you know, came in with so much talent, came in, you know, in his first season and just produced so much. But we've never really seen him be able to play enough to hit that, that mark. Um, you know, he's got better plate discipline this year, which I think is has been helpful for him. The one thing I'll say about him is that I do anticipate maybe a, a little bit of an increase in the strikeout rate, which will impact his average in the second half. He's got a career low uh, strikeout rate at 17.6%. His contact rate is solid at 79%, definitely better than league average, but not that much better than it's been at in previous seasons where he had like a 22 to 23% strikeout rate. So I do think that that batting average will probably come down a little bit. Um, you know, but he's in that, that Houston lineup has just been so incredible this entire season. So again, you know, the one thing I'll say about Correa is that 
he's not necessarily providing you with anything elite in any category, right? Like, you know, the home runs are good, but they're not great. The batting average is good so far, but not great. And I expect a little bit of regression. So if you're in need of stolen bases or something like that, maybe you have a little bit of a, a power boost, you know, you may want to look to move him for some stolen bases or, you know, a little bit better batting average, because I don't, I do think that that will come down a little bit here in the second half. Uh, but, but I do think, you know, as long as he's healthy, you're going to get a guy who, who can contribute uh, very solidly. And especially with those counting stats, those 61 runs are, are, are really nice. Yeah. I mean, I agree with most everything you said. I will kind of disagree with the batting average thing. His XBA is actually higher than his current batting average. And I think in large part is because of that patience you've been talking about. He's swinging less and he's swinging outside the zone a lot less. Uh, and while the strikeouts probably will come up, like I don't think the batting average is going to suffer a tremendous amount. I think he could probably sustain a right around or maybe just right below where he is right now. Um, you know, and it's so weird because if we, had, you know, most seasons like 16 home runs at the break, it's like, wow, dude is having a great season. But because there's so many guys, they're just having un, like out of this world seasons with, you know, the Vlad Guerrero Juniors, the Shohei Otanis, uh, like with those guys, like I think guys like Correa are just kind of being overshadowed a little bit. But this is kind of like what he was doing when he was like a second round pick minus he has no speed. Like he's just not, he just does not steal at all anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, like you mentioned, like hitting in one of the best lineups in baseball, that, that Astros line, I mean, he's going to rack up, he's going to go, he's probably have 30 home runs at the end of the season, hit 280 plus, uh, and have hundred hundred, um, and maybe even more than a hundred hundred. Like it's, it's going to be beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, I think I would hold on to him unless you, unless you're targeting a certain category, like stolen bases, like, uh, saves, like pitching, uh, like, and just like you said. So, uh, I, you know, pleasantly surprised on Carlos Correa, who is going outside the top 75 picks in drafts this year. And people have been rewarding for sticking with it as long as he stays healthy, right? Health has been an issue for him. And I think there are a few guys on this list who are in that kind of situation. Uh, uh, speaking of guys uh, who are kind of busting out this year, uh, Anthony Descalfani has been fantastic as a giant. Uh, and this is one of my bigger regrets, I think, of the draft season. We'll talk about this a little bit uh, uh, in, in the second half strategies. Because Descalfani was a guy that I had kind of identified as a guy who was in a really good position to have a huge kind of breakout season and a bounce back season going to San Francisco. And I just didn't draft him enough. Uh, you know, I got him in like five or six leagues, but that's nothing when when you're drafting 30 leagues a year. So uh, what have you seen from Descalfani and do you think he can keep it up or is it time to kind of, uh, you know, try to cash in your chips now with him? Yeah, you know, my strategy next year is just going to be to draft all of the all of the free agent signings of the Giants. Yeah, like, right. Just, I'm, that's what that's going to be my strategy next year. I mean, think about the guys they brought in. They brought in Drew Smiley, you know, turned him into an ace for half a season. They got Gaussman, you know, they've got Desclafani now, they've got Alex Wood, just, you know, they've been able to turn a lot of these guys around. I mean, with Disco, I think, you know, he's been very solid. I think there's clear areas where, you know, maybe some regression is coming. You know, the the BABIP is at 240, which would be uh, easily a career low, about 52 points below his career uh, batting average. He's got a high strand rate. You know, the K minus walk has been really good, but it's very similar to what he put up in 2018 and 2019 in Cincinnati. Obviously, the um, the situation is better with the Giants. 
you know, he's in a really good um, home ballpark. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely expect some regression to come his way um, in the second half. You know, um, there's not like, you know, he's throwing the slider a bunch, which is great. It's his most used pitch. But again, the slider's always been pretty good for him. So I don't see like a major change necessarily um, from what he's done in the past outside of some of those what I would call luck numbers. Um, he's pretty similar guy to what he's been. And so I do expect some some decent regression on that ERA and, and that whip in the second half here. Um, but, you know, you never know. Like he's in a great situation and he's throwing in the – in um, uh, is it still called Oracle Park? I think it's Oracle think, Park yeah, there Oracle. In, in San Fran. Yeah. Uh, in Oracle, and and that doesn't hurt at all, and and so I, I I definitely you know, and he's also got the Rockies and the D-backs in that division, you know, in addition to the Dodgers and the Padres. So who knows? You know, I, I expect some regression, but obviously you get to take to the bank what he's been able to do so far. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing about him is if you go and kind of dig into his splits a little bit, he's actually been worse at home than he has been on the road. Huh. He's, got a, he's got a 424 ERA at home. And a two fourteen uh, away ERA, which is is a, just a little bit weird. I think that's fluky. I think that's small sample stuff. It's probably um, probably that Do- Dodgers game was at home, right? <laughs> yeah, that. Pro- uh, yeah, I think that. I think that. I think that's probably that. Probably yeah, yeah, is yeah. it. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love what he's been doing. I've always been a Descalfani guy. Uh, you know, Eno put me on to him early, early on in his career, uh, and I've kind of ridden with it. And injuries have been an issue for him, but also home runs and, and pitching in great America ballpark when he was a red was a huge issue for him and getting to pitch in Oracle, uh, getting to pitch in the NL West, uh, has been kind of a godsend for him. And I don't see many reasons to think that he can't keep it up now, not at this rate, like you said, like there are de- there's definitely regression coming, but I think it's a regression coming to like a, th- a mid three ZRA, not like he's going to go back to being a f- mid four ZRA guy. Uh, you know, you want to be careful about him starting against, Lefty heavy lineups. He definitely does struggle at times against lefties. Uh, but ultimately, I, I mean, again, I think this is a situation like Cedric Mullins, obviously not as big, but like, I just don't think people are going to pay top dollar for Anthony Descalfani. And so I think you're riding with him, uh, kind of rest away and hoping he can keep it up. And as long as he's healthy um, and you kind of avoid some of those big, he- you know, lefty heavy lineups uh, with him, I think uh, you're going to be fine. Uh, Mitch Hanniger is been really, really good. And this one is, uh, like, I was not in on Mitch Hanniger at all. I'll be quite honest. Scared the hell out of me. Injuries. I know there were some really smart people in the industry that were on Mitch Hanniger. Um, the question is, do for those who have bought into him, maybe picked him up off the waiver wire, is it time to kind of cash in those chips? Because he's been great. You've been able to bank those stats. Because I'm super worried about long-term injury. Yeah, I think Hanniger, um, and this is more, this has less to do with the actual like analysis of the player, but like you mentioned, he's really struggled to play a full season, um, similar to Carlos Correa. In the past, he, he used to have, a, he used to bring with him a little bit of speed, you know, doesn't necessarily, he's got that one year in 2018 where he played a full season. Um, it just, he just seems like profile wise, since the batting average is not that great, he's actually got a career low contact rate as well, which isn't terrible. It's like 73%, you know, but he just strikes me as the type of guy that, that I would try to move. I also think, you know, it's possible that he gets traded, you know, here coming down the stretch. I mean, the Mariners are still in it, which is just incredible. You know, what a, 
I think they're a really fun team. Um, I mean, the offense is, is, is awful, but just from like a organizational standpoint, what they're, what they're doing there, I think is really exciting. Um, but for Hanniger, like he's hitting, uh, primarily lead off or not lead off anymore because Crawford's there. He's hitting towards the middle of the lineup. Um, I think that if he, you know, I think if he gets moved to a different team, I'm not sure he's in that same position necessarily. Um, so it depends, you know, what ends up happening there. But I just think because of the profile, because of what he provides for you and some of the question marks around injury and possibly getting traded and having a different role with, with the team, um, I, I would maybe look to move on from Hanniger. Um, he's kind of the guy of the group that we've covered so far that I would feel best about moving on from just because what the profile is in the, in the injury history. Yeah, for me, it's, it's all about the injuries. Uh, but you make a really good point that I hadn't even thought about with the fact that he is likely going to be traded. He's a free agent after 2022. Um, they've rebuilt. This is the highest his trade value is probably ever going to be. Uh, plus, be having an extra year of control, teams love that on, on cheaper guys. Uh, and this Mariners team, while they're competing right now, they're not going to compete for very long. This division, The top of that division is way too good with the A's. Uh, and in the Astros for, for the Mariners to stick around. And there's too many talented teams in the American League for them to even compete for a wild card. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would think that they would be looking to trade him. And the injuries, man, the inj- dude has never been able to stay healthy. And I, I even got some pushback recently on that. Like, well, no, I mean, you can't, like, you can't, like, uh, you can't downgrade him for, like, getting hit in the testicle. You can't gra- downgrade him for something. His injury history predates his time in the majors, he was like a really, you know, interesting prospect of note, but his injuries in the minor leagues is what made it uh, take him so long to make it to the majors. And one of the reasons why the Diamondbacks kind of gave up on him and shipped him to Seattle in the first place. So I, I hope I'm wrong because I love watching Mitch Haniger, but I don't trust the injury history and the fact that he's been hitting second since the beginning of May and wherever he goes to a contender, he's likely hitting sixth or seventh. Uh, is probably going to hurt his value quite a bit. It will be a better stadium, right? Mariner's not necessarily a great place to hit um, as long as pull power works because what he's been doing this season is just trying to pull everything. Um, so, like, if he were to end up, I don't even know, <laughs> off the top of my head, a great place for him. But, uh, yeah, he'll get a little added value, but it's not going to be that much, um, and I would try to sell him right now if I can. Uh, Matt Barnes went from being a guy that people were avoiding in draft season to leading, or no, he's not, I think he's leading the, oh no, he's not leading the AL, uh, but he's got just a crap ton of saves, right? You got him outside of the top 200 picks, depending on when your draft was, because there was like four days where he got put on the COVID list in spring training. He like dropped out of the top 400. You got an absolute steal. The question is, is it time to cash in those chips? Uh, and because I don't know how sustainable this is. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's clear, tra- I, 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 I have nothing but, um, kudos to those, uh, fantasy baseball players who are able to trade saves away at this point in time in the season as somebody who is, who is desperate for saves in, in any way, shape or form that they could, that they arrive in. Um, with Barnes, I mean, Barnes is fascinating because throughout his career, he's always struggled with control. He's always struggled with control. And this year, you know, 7.2% walk rate, his first pitch strike rate is 11% higher 
than his career first pitch strike rate. His O swing, his chase rate on pitches outside the zone, is uh, about 6 to 7% higher um, than his career average. And we know the strikeout stuff has always been you know, absolutely dominant, but this year he's got a 16.1% swinging strike rate, which is the highest he's ever had in his career um, by normally one and a half, by at least one and a half points. So, I mean, he seems like a different pitcher and you would say, you know, well, like, you know, the true talent level is a higher walk rate. And I would normally, you know, go say, Hey, if you look at the projections, they project that he's going to get back to about four and a half walks, you know, per nine, as opposed to the two or something that he's got right now. But the skills are also supporting it. So I'm not sure whether there was a mechanical change that he made. The pitch mix change, you know, the pitch mix isn't really that different. You know, so what is it that has resulted in such phenomenal control? Is it just the small sample that we have for this half of season? And he reverts back to the pitcher that he's been before? I'm not really sure because he's never really demonstrated this level of control, not just in the walk rate itself, but in the in the kind of peripherals that make up the walk rate, right? Getting ahead of the count, getting chases on pitches in, out, uh, outside the, the zone, um, throwing the ball uh, inside the zone, you know, all of those things he's doing at really strong rates from a control perspective. So, I mean, I think there, you know, naturally there's going to be some regression for him, but um, he, but I believe in what he's been able to do so far. Um, and normally closers have that one like little blip every single season, you know, where they, have two or three struggling um, outings in a row. He hasn't really had that yet this year. So maybe that happens, but I think you're holding on and, and I think he's going to be really strong down the stretch and, and the Red Sox are a really good team. So um, I'd, I'd hold on to Barnes for sure. Oh man, this one is a tough one for me as well. Because um, I mean, one of the things he's really done this season is attack the zone, especially early in counts. You know, first pitch strike rate is almost 70%. And I mean, he's for context, he's a career 59% first pitch strike guy. Um, you know, he's also, you know, making sure he's getting to the zone on as many pitches as he can, 42% zone percentage with his pitches. Uh, and the walk rate, like you said, has been amazing. Like, like it's a different guy. Like, like they they said, listen, we're gonna put this Matt Barnes jersey on you, Jeff. Uh, and 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 let you pitch because Matt Barnes can't do it. But I will say, well, I'm not overly concerned because I think he's given himself enough enough room where they will let him uh, pitch through bad issues. The walk rate is starting to creep up month by month um, to the point where so far in July he's got I think around 11 11 and a half percent walk rate, um, and. The, he's being less aggressive early in counts. He's for some reason found something that works. And in the last two months or so is starting to revert back a little bit to the guy he was before, which is like, no, 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 please stop this because you've been fantastic. So if you're looking for a reason to jump off and like, let's say you, you know, we're really lucky, right? In draft season, you drafted a guy like Liam Hendricks early, and then then you drafted maybe, um, uh, you know, a mid or you you, you drafted Workman Melanson and, and Melanson, <laughs> and you're going, I've got a plethora of saves. I need to unload one of these guys. Barnes is the guy that I'm going to unload. That's the one I'm going to go with because um, one the kind of the surface stats and kind of the secondary, you know, just underneath the surface stats still look fantastic. 
there's a little bit of stuff that scares me way down deep. I'm not ready to say I'm jumping off completely, but if you've got a plethora of saves and you're looking for something else, Barnes is the guy out of that, you know, those kind of guys, you know, I'm keep, I'll keep him over, or I'll, I'll ship him out over shipping out a guy like Kimbrel or shipping out maybe even a guy like Ian Kennedy. Um, you know, just cause, well, Kennedy's a hard one because Kennedy's going to get traded. Who knows he's if he's a closer? Yeah. But I mean, a lot of there are teams who are in the hunt looking for closers. So Kennedy could still be a closer at the end of the day. But Barnes is one of those guys that there's a little bit of something starting to kind of bubble to the surface. And I wouldn't necessarily want to be holding the bag unless I have to be holding that bag because I need those saves. All right, uh, let's uh, let's move on to another uh, closer. Alex Reyes, who's been fantastic this year. Um, I was just on uh, the uh, Ariel Cohen's uh, Beat the Shift podcast with Paul Spore, and he said that uh, Alex Reyes has delivered the most profit so far of any reliever, including Mark Melanson, who's who's been leaving, uh, leading uh, Major League Baseball in saves. So the question is, time to sell high on Alex Reyes or not? Uh, it pains me to say this because he's. I do have him in one league that's a very important league. Uh, I do think that it, it would be a nice little time to sell high. I mean, it obviously depends on what you can get. And the myth of selling high is always like, normally when you're trying to trade a guy, the other people in your league know that you're maybe trying to sell high on them. Unless, of course, you know you have a guy who, who fits the need of, of some team. So maybe if you're in a league and you're doing really well in saves and you you see a guy another team that needs saves, maybe you, you try to ship him. But with Reyes, I mean, the the challenge is the 227 Babbitt, the 90% strand, right? Those are not going to be things that 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 are maintained. And he just puts so many runners on base. You know, like I do believe that he is he is better than average, much better than average at limiting hard contact, right? He's got a very low home run per nine. He's always had a low home run per nine. The velo is pretty good, and he just throws, you know, uh, a bowling ball up there, right? But like the strand rate is what concerns me. He puts so many runners on base. At some point in time, we're going to start to see base hits with runners on base. And, and it could get kind of messy. The one thing that I'll say about it is, you know, Reyes is the closer for the Cardinals. They have no reason to go to anybody else. I mean, Gallegos is incredibly good, but Reyes has a long, um, he's got, he has a long leash there. And so I do think that he'll continue to have saves. I do think that he'll be the closer you know, when all things are said and done by the end of the season, I just think, you know, you're, if you were to say, is he more likely to, to post this like a two ERA or under, or like a four to five ERA, uh, the rest of the way I'd go with the four to five ERA. Um, it still means over the course of the full season, he's, you know, three and a half ERA, three ERA guy, but I just think the skills aren't on par with an elite reliever. And even though he does some important things really well, he doesn't do them well enough to defy um, the regression gods. So I do think it's coming second half here. I, I I think it as well. And I mean, if Mitch Hanniger is the hitter off this list so far that I would sell on Alex Reyes is, is the pitcher. Now you, you mentioned like you may not have a choice, right? Like if you need saves and he's your guy getting you saved, you may just have to be like, all right, I know a hit's coming at some point. Maybe I go pick up Gallegos and kind of handcuff him in case he does lose the job, uh, which I would definitely do, uh, or spec on Gallegos if, if you're save needy 
but this is not a guy you're buying in on. Uh, he's got a 450 Sierra. Um, he's got an 18% walk rate. Like, the walk rate is going to come back to bite him. Because while he doesn't allow home runs, which is one of the reasons why he's been able to survive his 18% uh, walk rate, uh, he does allow hits. <laughs> and those are going to come back to haunt him at some point. And I just, and not to mention, we haven't even mentioned what has kept him from being a reliable pitcher in fantasy to begin with, which is his injury history. Um, you know, a guy who has not been able to stay healthy throughout uh, his time in the majors and his uh, time through the upper minors. So, um, yeah, if I can afford to ship him off, I am shipping him off. Uh, unfortunately, I know a lot of teams are save needy as I am. And as you have already mentioned, you are in a, a number of leagues. So you may not be able to afford to. But if you can, I would definitely ship him off before Matt Barnes. And we just talked a lot about how I would love to you know, ship him off if I wasn't in need of saves anymore. All right, let's finish out this uh, this segment with Brandon Crawford, because I just don't fucking get it. And I mean, I watch 95% of Giants games, and I just don't fucking get it. Like, how is he doing this? I, I've already said I on other podcasts, I would I would totally sell high on Brandon Crawford if I could. I don't know if anybody's buying, but like, I don't buy that he can keep doing this. Do you buy this at all? I mean, I I don't um, I don't buy that he's going to continue at this pace. I mean, he's at 17 home runs, 21 is his career career high, which he's done once before. Now I know that the one thing that I'll that I'll say is he does have 30 barrels, right? He's got a 15.2 percent barrel rate. I think we started to see it last year with the 9.4 percent barrel rate, but you know he's really what he seems to be doing is selling out some contact for power. And really working on elevating. So he's got um, his ground ball rate is 37.6% so far this year. Career, it's 45%. Um, this is the lowest his ground ball rate has ever been. Um, you know, obviously we're only halfway through a season, but he's really trying to elevate. You know, he's giving up contact. He's at 70% contact, which is still fine, um, but, you know, not, not necessarily the kind of league average that we've expected from him for the last many years. And so, you know, he's kind of selling out a little bit for power and he's making it happen. I don't think he's going to make it happen to the same, same extent as he has. Again, like all these guys we're talking about are due a little bit of regression, but I mean, his slug is 533. His expected slug is 581. So he's actually been unlucky in terms of like the power metrics, which, which may stem from the ballpark that he's playing in. So, you know, again, if you can move him for something decent, then go ahead. I think you're going to have a really difficult time getting other guys to buy into Brandon Crawford. And so you're probably best just hanging on to him because I still think he's going to be good. I mean, that, that Giants offense just generates runs. There's a lot of professional hitters in that lineup. Uh, they just they just do it. And, and he's in the middle of it most days. So stick with him. You know, he's even stealing a few bases, I feel like. Right. Like, what does he have? Seven. Yeah. No, yes, seven stolen seven. bases this year. I mean, guy's brilliant. Um, and, and and he yeah. hasn't even been caught. Like he's seven for seven on the base pads. He's just so he's just such a smart ball player, you know. Or it's I, the hair, you know. It's the hair. I think there's a new conditioner or something, like I mentioned earlier in the show, because I really don't get it. Like it's uh, like he's added a little bit of loft to a swing, but not much. Like the launch angle isn't like you know jumped up a ton necessarily. 
uh, I, I do, and I, I think I talked about this on the podcast with Ariel the other day. Um, I do think maybe his swing works well with this new ball because he keeps his bat level through the zone um, and doesn't try to like necessarily do towering shots. He's just kind of a line drive uh, hitter when he's hitting for power, um, and the ball travels better. Uh, this new ball travels better with that. That being said, like this is insane. It's absolutely. I mean, this guy's what I think thirty four years old. Going to be, uh, let's see, uh, thirty four years old. Going to be thirty five at the end of the year. So, uh, you know, in the off season, he'll be thirty five again. Having a contract year, just huge breakout. I, I don't. My Giants are going to sign him for like a three year contract, and I'm just going to cry. <laughs> um, because he's been fantastic defensively as well. Um, I don't think he can keep this up. I, I mean, obviously not even close to this low. I think he's probably like a 250 hitter, um, maybe with like eight or nine home runs, which at the end of the day is going to be a really nice fucking line. Um, and I think what one of the things you mentioned, I do love how you call the Giants a team of professional hitters because they're not good hitters. They're like, all oh, they just do what they need to do every night. And if they all do it together, they seem to figure out ways to win. Uh, but uh, he's gonna he's gonna compile because he's one of the few guys on this team that just is not any risk of platooning. Um, and so uh, you know, a lot of the guys on the Giants are going to platoon versus you know lefties or versus righties, lose time here and there. And Crawford, because his defense is so good and because his bat's playing so well, they're just gonna run him out there. And I think he's going to. Uh, compile in a way that, that Marcus Simeon used to do. Like Marcus Simeon wasn't a superstar really before this year, um, but like he would just compile stats because he played every single day. Um, and I think that Crawford is going to continue to do that. And 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 I don't know that anybody will give you much for him. So enjoy the the guy you got off the you know um, waiver wire because. I think Ariel the other day said he was going outside the top 700 picks or something like that on draft day, which is insane. So I wish I had him on my team. I don't, even though I'm a Giants fan. And Justin, your Giants are already up 6-0. Crawford has an RBI single already. Mm-hmm. I mean, this it's team, happening. Man, this team, like, I it, I keep waiting for it to fall apart. And I just, I don't know. I mean... At this point, like I feel like they're pretty locked into at least a wild card spot, if, even even if they give back the division, um, which will be a pleasant surprise. It means, uh, do I have to start growing my playoff beard now? Like I had stopped doing that do the it. last few years, but I, I feel think like- that would that would be phenomenal if you just started it right now. I yeah. mean, the, the problem is, is like, yeah, like if you shave and they start doing poorly, is it your fault? Well, the tradition has been since 2010. I started doing this. Uh, where at the All-Star break, I would shave, and then I would not touch it again until they were eliminated from the playoffs. Um, and then if they make yeah, the World Series... That's tradition. Uh, yeah, so I guess, I guess I have to. I guess I'm shaving today, and I will, uh, and I will uh, keep it going for the rest of the year or something. It is an odd year, though. It is an odd year. But, see, that's the thing. We didn't get a full year last year, so technically, is it an mm. odd year? Or is it still well, like... But, but then the problem is, does la- half of last year and half of this year count as the season that they would have won it? And then they're going to be awful in the second half? Absolutely. That's, that's a problem. Well, what they've done the last few years has been great right until the trade deadline. And then they don't make moves because they've been great. And then they fall apart after the trade deadline. So I'm, They've got I'm, a plan. I mean, if you think about with their farm system, with their farm system, and, and I think a pretty clear... Like, I mean, they've got an ability already to sign guys and turn them into high caliber starting pitchers. But 
when that when that offensive core comes through from the miners along with some of the guys that they already have, and then they have the money to go out and get those free agent starting pitchers. I mean, they're they're going to be really good for for a long time. I think the way they're building is is a um, is a real. I mean, that's how you should build. It, it's going to be fun. The Giants Mariners World Series in two years is going to be Ooh. a lot of fun. I, I I would love that. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of money coming off the books this year. Brand Belt's contract coming off the books. Posey's contract coming off the books. Crawford's contract coming off the books. I wouldn't be surprised if they re-signed Posey, but it won't be for what they signed him for initially. Um, and you know, they could even re-sign Crawford, but there's so many good shortstops of Correa and Story on the market. I I wonder if they're gonna they're gonna go hard after one of those guys. So yeah. it'll be it'll be fun to see. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to do kind of some second half strategy talk with you. You are a fantastic player. I've played in, I think four or five leagues with you over the last few years, um, including BARF, uh, the last two years and, and main events the last two years as well. Uh, and last year you beat the pants off me in our main event. Uh, this year you and I are kind of hovering around a little bit around the middle. Hovering in mediocrity. It would be mm-hmm. a good a good, that's a good uh, kind of theme for my teams this year, you know? Yeah, but you're a great player. I mean, you, you've come onto the scene and how many main event titles have you won so far? Well, I've won, um, I won one my first year. I did uh, mm-hmm. two year, two the first year and I won one. And then I won, then it was the sprint season. I won three of three sprint main event titles last year, um, which is great because, you know, like the, I was joking around, like it was about a third of a season. And so I won three, so it was like the equivalent of one, you know? Um, yeah, but it, just like the bit. Dodgers World Series trophy, like they didn't give you half a check. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it still counts, it right? It's still, Thankfully. The it's check still, was not as big as it usually is, though. But. That This is true because we, we it, was a, it was a little bit smaller buy. And still, I take it over finishing fourth in my league last year yeah. and just missing out I, on the money. So I, I appreciate I I appreciate the, the kindness. I'm not uh, rejecting that at all. I'm... I will not um, let you reject it. You are, you're a fantastic yeah. player, but you're in a situation right now in a number of your leagues where you're trying to figure out how you're going to climb back into the race. So what are some of the strategies you're going to use or that you would use? You know, obviously team context, you know, standing context dependent, but I think a lot of people get to this point of the year. And if they're not in, let's say the top five in their league, they go, I'm going to switch my attention to football. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think and I think that's one thing to consider, too, in all your leagues, right, is take a look at what the categories are that you're doing well in and that you're not doing well in ratio categories are so much more difficult to make up ground in. And you're joking about football, but literally like with runs, RBI, home runs, stolen bases, there will be teams in every league. And this includes the NFBC and this includes main events and this includes high stake leagues where some players will stop paying as much attention or stop paying attention and they'll switch their attention to football. And so you can make up a lot of ground in those categories when guys aren't actively managing their lineups, you know, on a regular basis. So be considering that as well. Um, What I think is most important is just like to, to have a strategy, right? Make a plan, like take a look at where you are in categories. We still have you know, whatever, four tenths of the league, 40% of the league left to go, if not more than that, right? So there's still a lot of time to make up ground, but just be thoughtful about like, okay, what is the strategy that I have to win? When I'm in an NFPC league, like I always want to do well in the overall, 
but sometimes it's not possible to do that. Sometimes you got to focus in on your lead. At the same time, you got to think about how it does. Like a good example for me is I've got some leagues where I'm doing really poorly in saves and I could just punt saves. But the problem with punting saves is it means that you have to have nine, you know, really good starting pitchers, right? To be getting the wins and to be getting, um, you know, the Ks. And if you have good ratios and you decide to punt saves by going with streaming more starting pitchers, chances are you're going to lose the points and the ratios that you're adding in the other categories. So it's got to make sense. So that's what I'd say. Just take a look, uh, uh, take a lay of the land, see where you need to improve, see where other teams are at, and then make a plan and start now and implementing that plan. Because, you know, yes, you don't want to focus on categories too early, but at the same time, like if you're down 10 stolen bases right now and you need to make up those 10 stolen bases, it's going to take you a half a year to make those up by grinding those and trying to stream stolen base guys, things like that. So make sure that you start now because if you do really well in the next, you know, five, six weeks, maybe you don't have to do that for the last six weeks of the season, right? So just make a plan, look at where you're at and, and kind of try to strategize around what makes sense for how you can not only increase in the categories you need to, but then also try to maintain where you are in the other categories that you're at. And then sometimes you just got to go with high variance plays if you really just need to kind of hit, hit it, you know, get lucky, right? You need to hit that 95th percentile or that 75th percentile for that guy that's on the waiver wire. And so take some shots on guys that have higher ceilings than they do, you know, floors um, and see if you can luck into that. That includes speculating, you know, on guys who may become closers, you know, right now instead of waiting until they're named closers or on guys you think will get different roles because a guy on the team is going to get traded, you know, things like that. Try to get in ahead instead of having to pay up you know, for guys that that's going to happen to. Yeah, I, I love everything you said. And it's one of the things I've already, and I think I've talked about this already on this podcast, but uh, you know, in one of my main events, I looked at the standings and I went, Phil Dussault is in this league. Phil he's, he's He has a top, he's got two top 10 overall teams, or at least he did at that time. Um, and, and one of them was this league. I was like, I'm not winning this league. I'm just not. I'm not winning this league. And this league, this this team is not competing in the overall. It's just not going. It's not going to happen. But it can finish second, or it can finish third. And the way to do it is to punch stolen bases. You know, I was last in stolen bases by a handful. And even if I, you know, was got a huge injection of stolen bases, I'm probably only catching two or three people. Uh, and so I made the decision. I'm dropping Miles Straw. I'm dropping my stolen base guys that are hurting me in other categories, and I'm going to try to make up ground that way. And, and I'm starting to do that. I've been as high as third now in this league. I've had a, a bad week to drop back down to seventh, but there's still a lot of movement because, like in your and my main event league, three weeks ago, I was in 12th place. And yesterday, I was in fourth place. So, like, I think you've got to remember, like, as people start focusing on football, People kind of slip a little bit. And this has played out for me over the last few years, even in NFBC. And I think NFBC gets this uh, kind of um, reputation that all the players are super serious all the time. And while it is a higher level caliber league, I, I completely agree with that. People are people and they only have so much uh, time to devote to one thing. And when another sport comes in, if they're playing both sports at a high level, especially at the NFFC, 
they're going to maybe slack a little bit at times, especially if they've got a 10th place team or a 12th place team. And I think you can pick up standing points by just remaining vigilant um, and attacking things. And so when you have these days off during the all-star break, I, I like to print out a spreadsheet. I'm going on vacation. I'm going out of town. I'm taking spreadsheets with me to do standings, uh, kind of standings analysis and just, uh, you know, uh, and to do rankings rest of the season and to do things like that to kind of make sure I can figure out the best path forward to make sure I'm profiting as much as I can rest of the season. Um, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the trade deadline. I do want to talk about that because the trade deadline's coming up. And I think often people think of, oh, well, the trade deadline only really matters in AL or NL only leagues. And that's not true because you just mentioned some of the ways we can affect our own standings by paying attention to that. So how does the trade deadline affect how you operate kind of this time of year? Yeah, well, I think especially for me where I'm really low down in saves, I want to be thinking about who are the guys that I think are going to take, who is likely to get traded and then who is likely to take over for them if they do get traded and trying to identify those guys now you know, kind of a week or two before, instead of getting them after the trade deadline and the guy is traded, I think can really, um, when you talk about high variance plays, that can be a really good way to get ahead. Um, it's kind of like when you play early on in the, in, when you draft early in, in, in the year, right. And a guy hasn't signed yet and you get a discount on that guy. Cause you don't know exactly where they're going, but they still have that same ceiling or they're still better than maybe where you got them, but you just didn't know what the environment or the situation was. So it's kind of the similar, the equivalent, like in season. So, you know, um, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, maybe it's like you mentioned Ian Kennedy, he's going to get traded. Well, there's a lot of different potential trade closers in Texas. So maybe looking at usage over the last week or so, last two weeks, who's getting those high leverage plays, right? Is it Spores? Is it Patton? Is it Evans? Like who are, is the guy who's doing that? Ricardo Rodriguez of the Pirates, like who do we think is going to take over there? Is it going to be a veteran like Kyle Crick? Is it going to be a guy, a younger guy like David Bednar, who's pitched really well? You know, who's going to kind of come in that role and then pick him up a week or two before the trade deadline and then hold on to them. And then you just hope that you can kind of strike it rich um, getting them in that way. And so that's a way that you could pick up some closers. But similarly, it's not a very good example, I think, because it's the Mariners, but like you know, uh, Mitch Hanniger, for instance, right? If you think Mitch Hanniger is going to get traded, that means that there's a spot in the middle of the Mariners lineup that's now opening up and somebody's going to take it. And then there's also a position in the, in the field, right? Or, or at DH, you know, depending on where he's, he's hitting that, that now will be added to the roster. So who's that going to be now this year? Like, it's probably gonna be like Taylor Trammell, or they've got a lot of outfielders, but let's just say it was like Julio Rodriguez, you know, was ready to come up or something like that. You could go, for him, or let's say like, um, with the pirates, for instance, you know, a guy that I picked up is Jared Oliva, right? I, we know he's a big stolen base threat. You know, they're likely maybe to move some guys at the deadline. Maybe it's going to be Gregory Polanco. Maybe it'll be Brian Reynolds, which I really hope they don't just for pirates fans sake. Cause he's a really good player. But if there's a spot that opens up there, maybe he gets playing time and I need stolen bases in this particular league. He's a guy who could easily get, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases over the, the second half of the season, you know? And so um, thinking about just the way, like the different pieces that are in place and as they move, who fills in those, uh, who fills in that, that spot in the lineup, who fills in that roster spot um, in different, different places. And, and that I think is where you can really make up a decent amount of ground and get some guys who maybe, 
you know, um, have a lot of skills, but haven't had the opportunity yet. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The one thing I will add to that is when you're looking at closing situations, check to make sure that the guy who you think might be next man up isn't also going to be shipped out of town too, right? Because like, you know, Richard Rodriguez, I think is a great example, right? Because he's he's going to get shipped out of town. We, we fully expect him to be somewhere else. Hopefully it's in a closing situation for my teams where I have him as my closer. It might not be though. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Kyle Crick and David Bednar seems like the top two guys to likely get the next shot. Though Kyle Crick could be moved on his own. They're not moving Bednar. Like they, you know, and so like for me, I'm probably going to put more money on Bednar than I will on Crick just because I think there's a chance Crick gets moved out of town too. Uh, and I think Bednar has better skills personally, but I, I just, one of those things, I can't remember what year it was. Uh, but there was a year in which uh, a, a closer, everybody's like, Oh, this closer, we trade. Everybody go after this guy. I think it might've been Washington. Uh, and everybody's like, put your money on uh, like Trinan or something like that. Uh, and then they traded Trinan too. And it was like, Oh, okay. Now it's Sean Kelly or whoever it was. Uh, I wish I could remember exactly. That, who that, it was. Let me, that did not work out well. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, that, 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 but then that happens, right? That's the, the crapshoot of investing in, you know, closers off the waiver wire. So as my tag team team will tell you, we invested in three guys last or a couple weeks ago and neither of them seem or none of them seem like they're getting the job. So, yeah, I, I picked up Scott Barlow last week and uh, I was rewarded with five earned runs and like yeah. one in a third innings or something yeah. like that. We picked up Jose Alvarado and that, that, that did not work out well. So, uh, all right. Last question is what have you learned from the first half? And this could include draft season too, because that was part of the first half, right? Uh, that you incorporate in the rest of the way or into future seasons. This is just kind of like, you know, write an epitaph from the first half of the 2021 season. For me, it's closers. Um, I, for the longest time have been a, not a don't draft closers, but draft closers later on, right? Always get guys, get a couple guys who have the job that you're confident have the job. And then maybe a couple other speculations towards the back end of the draft. But I never drafted closers before like pick 100, you know, like I just never did that because, you know, with closers, like we've seen in the past, like even the elite guys from year to year, you know, there can be a lot of fluctuation because you're dealing with 65 inning samples each year. Um, but the, the landscape on saves has changed so dramatically over the past year where we've been from, you know, um, you know, just fewer and fewer guys that are the only ones that have the role, you know, right. There's only like 10 teams that, you know, there's so many teams that have a committee now, and it's so hard to have guys who are in a committee in your roster because unless they're able to contribute, you know, really strong ratios in addition to those saves, you know, you're getting like, you know, whatever, 10 to 15 saves over the course of a season. And you need three of those guys in your lineup, you know, to get you even in the middle of the pack and saves by the end of the year, if that. And so I'm really going to start, I think I'm going to start investing in at least one top end closer because the worst case scenario happened to me this year in a few leagues where, you know, I drafted guys who I thought had the closer role. I, I had a lot of Anthony Bass, for instance, who has ended up being fine this year. He just had blew up his first two starts. Thank you, Anthony Bass. No longer the closer. I speculated on guys like Whitgren, on Pagan, on these guys that I felt really confident were going to get the closer role and didn't, you know. And so what I ended up doing was spending the first five weeks were all spent 
trying to figure out who the next closer was. And it's not just the amount of fab that you lose during that period of time. It's the roster spots that you waste churning those guys that the only reason you have interest in them is closers. So like Adelis Garcia was available in my leagues, right? And I was like, ah, oh, you know, he's an interesting profile. The The projection on him is like, you know, I think it was something like uh, 15 and seven, you know, if you put, if you space it out, which isn't terrific for a full season, but, you know, clearly had some power and some speed, but I wasn't going after him. He wasn't even on my list because I was just like going after every single closer spec imaginable. You know, or like every closer spec spec second removed, you know, like, and it just really messes with you and you cannot make those up. It is so hard to make those up. And it really has, has my season is such a disappointment so far because of that reason. And I don't want to put myself in that position again. And so I will be paying up for at least one closer next year. And I will make sure that I'm getting a couple guys that have closer jobs um, and, and I'll, and I'll be even pushing up, pitching up a little bit more than I usually do because it's just been so, you know, erratic. Um, and so that's kind of been one of my takeaways, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's been the primary takeaway, the thing that I will do differently moving forward from what I have done in the past. And I mean, that's one that like, I can, I can proudly say, like, I've always been like, I'm okay paying for saves. Um, and, and, and the reason why is because I think in the argument, my argument against people who haven't in the past is just because like I pay for my saves early on in the season, it can blow up. But like I said, I had Trevor Rosenthal in a lot of leagues and that really hurt. Right. And TGFBI I had him. Uh, I invested in Archie Bradley. That didn't work out at all either. Um, but uh, even in the leagues where I'm set and saved in a lot of my leagues, I am set and saves. Uh, I'm still specking on closers. <laughs> here and there, right? Just because of the volatility of the position, right? And um, that means the people who didn't still have to compete with people like me. Everybody's still specking on closers, even if they are set, you know, uh, you know, through the first half of the season. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the, 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 the flaw in the logic that where people don't pay for saves. Um, for me, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to trust myself a little bit more. Uh, and I, I think one of the biggest things I've fallen victim to this year that I've kicked myself is I let people who I respect and are smart sometimes talk me down on players I'm higher on than other than maybe other people. Um, and while I'm I'm like flush with my Cedric Mullen shares for sure, um, I didn't get him in a single main event, um, and that's brutal because. Like that's probably the difference between me, you know, you know, competing for second and third in in my two main events as opposed to competing for first. Uh, and uh, and there were there were other guys. Craig, Craig Kimbrell is a guy that Paul talked me down on. Um, and it's not that I don't, you know, I should trust my advice over others. And I do listen to a lot of people, yourself included, uh, because they give me things to think about. I think if you do the research, right? If you're doing your own research. I start really early. I do six months of research prior to the season beginning. Um, you know, I'll start my research for 2021 next month or 2022 next month. Um, you got to trust yourself a little bit and don't like fall into the traps of, oh, the ADP says he's going back. He's going later. I can wait. Um, or maybe there's a reason why so many people aren't drafting. 
Uh, and one of the things that uh, a guy who used to write uh, and podcast for me over at Friends of Fantasy Benefits, who's a great NFBC player in his own right, Greg Blankenship, once told me is ADP is made up of just as many winners of leagues as losers. Like, it counts the same in the ADP, right? The teams that's going to finish first in a league is going to count the same in the ADP as the team that's going to finish 15th. And so don't overuse it. And I think that I fell victim a little bit to that, and I have in the past as well. And so I'm going to trust myself a little bit more moving forward in the next year. And I think I did a little bit more of that this year. I'm going to do it more, even more next year. Uh, and I think it'll benefit me uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I think that I think that's a great point. And you see, I think some of the best players in the game doing the same thing, which is which is they'll 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 jump two, three rounds to make sure they get yep. the guy that they want, right? Because in the grand scheme of things, like whenever I at the end of the season you look at your roster and it's or you look at your draft board and you're like, what was I thinking with this? Like in these different spaces, right? And so if you can kind of have that mentality as you go into the draft and realize like yeah, trust yourself um, and don't be afraid. Like, you know, the difference of two or three dollars between getting a guy in round 10 versus getting a, guy, getting a guy in round eight, it's nothing. You know, it's like a couple steals, right? So, so be, 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 um, trust yourself and, and be willing to trust yourself to the extent that you um, just get your, you, you, I hate this saying, get your guys, but you do. That's what you do, you know? Don't don't leave anything at the draft table. Like don't leave yeah. regrets at the draft table. Um, because one of the things I, I learned in the offseason prior to this, we, we did those uh with some of the, the guys at Tout Wars, we did these retro drafts. Um and some people laughed at them, but it really taught me a lot about roster construction. Um and then how much standings moved in because we knew the stats, right? And every one of those drafts I was in, and I was in five or six of them. Uh, in the off season uh, and during kind of the layoff uh, of last season before the season actually started, every single one, the standings changed in the last round, which tells you that if you know the answers of the standings are changing in the last round, a lot of leagues are won or lost because of two or three different players on a roster. And if you had made two or three different decisions that it might've turned out differently. So you want those decisions to be yours and not to be, something that maybe you've been talked into. It's it's fine to take the occasional shot on, hey, you know what? Toby told me about this guy and said he really likes him. I trust Toby. I'll, maybe I'll take a shot here. But like not doing that over someone you covet or you love. Um, and I think that was a mistake that I've made in a, in a few too many drafts uh, where I'm now struggling. And, and, and in the drafts where I didn't do that, especially the early drafts, because what I've seen, at least for myself, is the drafts I did in October, November, and December before people started influencing my thought process as much because I start earlier, drafting earlier, are doing a lot better. Like I've got a lot more first place and second place teams. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll, add, I'll add one too that you made me think about as well, <laughs> which is I did this this year in, in some of my main events is... I actually, and I mentioned this with Carlos Rodon, I drafted guys who had increases in velocity in the spring. Mm -hmm. And that was really the only reason why I drafted them. Like I have Sean Manaya on a bunch of teams. I have Robbie Ray on a bunch of teams. I have Carlos Rodon on a bunch of teams. And the only reason, if you listen to a podcast, every single preseason podcast I did, 
I did not mention those guys probably any times except for maybe ones that happened in the spring training. And I drafted them exclusively for their increase in velocity during spring training. And that's, if you look at all the guys who have made the jump every single year, it's velocity. It's always an increase of like one and a half to two miles per hour on their velocity that makes them the pitchers they are. We saw it with Lucas Giolito. We saw it with Blake Snell. We saw it with like every single year. That's what happens. We're seeing it with Carlos Rodon this year. We saw it with Corbin Burns before the sick, sticky stuff, right? Um, but his velo was up as well. Like all of those guys who have really taken that leap forward are guys who have serious velocity jumps. And so really be focusing in and hypersensitive to that during spring training. Yeah, I, I'm still not over you taking Sean Manaya over me, like right in front of me in the main event um, this year. Yeah, I, I, was, I was pretty bummed about that. As somebody who does like a ton of investigation on the, their opponents, you should have known by that point in time that I was going to that that's who I was going to get. There. Oh, if, if you don't think I wasn't listening to every single one of your podcasts prior to our main event drafted crazy, I just, you know, and I had every board from every from every main event at that point too so yeah uh yeah that's i'm that's something i'm not changing i will continue to do my background research on my competitors well uh, the great sure. thing is going to be when manaya's babbit actually regresses you know yeah, then it's going to be a fantastic no 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 it's going to positively regress yeah. it's got oh, it's like 330 or 320 oh, or something like that oh wow god i yeah, wish yeah. i had more shares in. all right anyways um toby thank you so much for joining me yeah yeah, yeah. of course justin uh Fantastic to be here. Sleeper in the Bust is the first podcast I ever listened to in my entire life. I remember the first time I ever listened to a fantasy baseball podcast was this podcast. I was actually in Alaska. I was running and I listened to it. At the time, it was Paul and Eno. But, um, you know, to to be able to be on the podcast is a real, um, real honor to join you, somebody who's been uh, so helpful to me throughout my uh, fantasy baseball career. I just really appreciate it the opportunity and, and hope this was a helpful experience for listeners. I'm sure it was, you know, and I have to, while I appreciate you saying those nice things, I have to apologize to you because I thought I'd already had you on the show. And I was <laughs> looking through one of the things I tried to do this year was like, Hey, I want to bring some new voices. People I haven't had on. And I was looking through uh, recently and I was like, okay, who haven't I had on before? And I went, Holy crap. Toby's name's not on here. And I sent you a text. I was like, have I had you on? Am I missing this? And you're like, no, no, we were supposed to do it. And then we couldn't. And then I was like, ah, gosh. so I apologize to you, my friend, because you are one of the few podcasts. I make sure that Markdown, I'm listening to every episode that comes out uh, and we've become friends. Uh, and I, I think you're just a great dude in general. And so I'm sorry I didn't have you on sooner. I will definitely have you back on again. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media and plug your work one more time. Sure thing. Uh, on social media at Batflip Crazy podcast is uh, Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball. Um, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. Would love to uh, engage in some fantasy baseball dialogue. And I'm really looking forward to Justin the in person draft for Barf in, in February for sure. That'll be a lot of fun. I've missed that the last couple of years too. And and are you going to F Pass this year? I am. I'm going to First Pitch Arizona, so I will be there in October. I already booked my flights, booked my room. Uh, everything. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then hopefully in, in March, I'll also be going uh, to the live drafts in, in Vegas. I'm really hoping to be able to do that as well. So um, should be a fun year of fantasy baseball for sure. Yeah, I won't make it to Vegas because uh, I'm going to New York. So I'll be in New York for Tal Wars, but I will be at First Pitch Arizona. I'm bringing the wife. 
we're having a birthday party for her because that is like her birthday weekend. Um, and she's deciding that that's where she wants to to hang out. So Very uh, cool for those of you who have always wanted to go to First Pitch Arizona. I think this is going to be a really, really fun year. Uh, go over to Baseball HQ. You can sign up. I think they've got a special right now where it's two ninety nine for the weekend. So and that goes up as we get closer to the event. So definitely go sign up for that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Obviously, read my work over on Fangraphs uh, and hear me on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits and TGFBI uh, podcast. Uh, just a reminder, no Sunday episode next week because I will be out of town. I'm on vacation. I technically started my vacation yesterday, but I wanted to record with Toby, uh, and this worked out well uh, to get an episode in before I left. So uh, you won't see any written or uh, or audio work from me over the next week. But I hope everybody enjoys the all-star break, the all-star game, and the home run derby, which I will be DVRing so I can watch when I get back from vacation because that looks absolutely amazing in Colorado without humidor balls. Uh, it's it's going to be just a ton of fun. Uh, for Toby and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season.